term quite achiever is reserved for those who get things done with a minimum of fuss and an aversion to the spotlight. One of harness racing's most notable quite achievers is Michael Formosa, a former motor mechanic who fell in love with standard bred horses more than 30 years ago and decided to make a career of it. Michael trains his horses on a property at Ellalong in the Hunter region of New South Wales. He's a regular at the weekly Newcastle meetings and he can be found at Menangle Park whenever he feels he has the right horse. And he was at Menangle many times in recent years with his once-in-a-lifetime horse, Ultimate Art. These days, Mike prefers to train a smaller team and do most of the work himself. He's currently working nine horses with the help of his wife, Kirsty, a former jockey and an expert horse person. Michael had a setback recently when driving a horse at Newcastle for another trainer, Rob Hosking. He crashed over the top of a fallen horse halfway down the straight and sustained two fractured ribs, although at the time he didn't know it. Michael Formose is online to talk to us. Mike, thank you very much. I, I felt very sorry for you that night at Newcastle. Um, you were dead unlucky. That horse in front of you went down like a flash. Yeah, it's just one of those things, you know, unexpected things that happens and you can't prepare yourself for it. you just got to um, hope you come out of it, uh, out of it okay. Mm, now what happened, Mike? Uh, you were racing directly behind that horse when it went down and uh, it fell as though someone had just chopped its legs off. Yeah, well, I was actually running last month in my own business and uh, <laughs> coming up with excuses what to tell the owners of the horse why it, was going, why it went so bad, and then, yeah, all of a sudden the horse in front of me come down quickly and, mm. yeah, just couldn't get around it. No. Now, when you, you got straight to your feet, you didn't realise you had broken ribs. No, I knew I was winded, um, I usually jump straight up, but I took a few seconds to get up after that fall, and uh, I had quite a busy night, so I um, didn't make out it was probably as bad as it was, so I could fulfil the rest of my drives, and yeah, it wasn't until I got home that um, I started uh, really feeling it. Now, you tell me you, you took your own horses home, and you, did you drive the truck home? Yeah, I was actually on my own that night, and uh, <clears throat> I... Um, drove up until the last race and loaded the horses up and, and uh, took them home. It wasn't until I got home I had to get Kirsty to mm. give me a hand to get out of the truck because there's no way I was going to get out on my own by that time. Goodness me, you'd seized up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, How long were you out of action altogether? Uh, eight weeks I was out for, mm. which was, um, you know, when it happened I thought I would uh, broken ribs. So I'll be back in action in two weeks, but, yeah, Everyone tells you they're painful, and yeah, I can tell you they are. So. Yeah, guarantee it. <laughs> yeah. Now, Mike, you made a big decision uh, recently when you decided to cut the team right back and do it all yourself, uh, other than the help that you get from Kirsty. Yeah, um, I've sort of, <clears throat> I've never really wanted big teams, and I've always sort of, uh, you know, had between you know, 15 to 20, sometimes creep up to 22 or something like that. And mm. um, <clears throat> I'm pretty pedantic. I like to do things a certain way. And, and um, 
you know, I just find having staff was just sort of getting me down a bit and um, yeah. you know, I lost my father last year and that was sort of, you know, I got really depressed for a while and I just wanted mm. to be on my own. So mm. I, um, yeah, just decided to do that. It uh, seems to be going okay. I mean, um, you know, obviously the, the least, less amount of horses you have, you sort of, you know, don't have as many runners and don't get as many winners, but um, mm. my sort of stage... In my career now, I'm just trying to more be happy than uh, yeah. in the spotlight. Well, you've got nothing to prove, Mike. You've you've won well over one thousand races, and uh, you've won multiple Newcastle Trainer and Driver Premierships. Yeah, I have, um, and I've done. You know, I didn't really get into the horses till I was in my early twenties. So, <laughs> um, in a way, that was good because I was sort of old enough to absorb the information quickly than um, being a young kid who was just sort of, you know, playing games and that. But uh, no, I sort of achieved everything I've sort of wanted to achieve, you know. Um, yeah, just sort of trying to enjoy myself now instead of letting the pressure get to you. And, you know, we're lucky enough to have a good horse to pay our mortgage off and that, so I don't have any worries like that anymore. Mm. Well, you're Australian-born of Maltese origin. You mentioned your late dad, George, a minute or so back. George came to Australia when he was only 16. Your mum, Sylvia, followed later. Uh, You were born here. You started your working life as a mechanic and you worked in a Holden dealership at Wyong and you couldn't have minded it because you were there for eight years. And that experience must have come in handy so many times over the years. Oh, definitely. I think every day when you've got when you've got a property and you know you have jogger machines and water carts and whipper snippers and chainsaws and that, you know, mm. everything needs fixing or servicing at some stage. So, um, yeah, I still like the cars and that. I was. Um, always sort of follow the car shows on, on Discovery Channel and things like that. And mm. But, yeah, once I, I um, started with the horses, it, um, yeah, really, that really took over then. Your grandfather, Joe Mikalef, had a few harness horses at the time and you found yourself getting interested. I think Grandad had a produce store at Box Hill, uh, halfway between Parramatta and Windsor, and on holidays you couldn't get there quick enough. Yeah, well, that's where the love affair with the horses started when I was young. We lived on the central coast, um, just on a block of land. So every school holidays, I'd, I'd go to my pop's place, and and uh, he used to put me to work. Let me tell you, I used to work like a a man back back then. But I loved every minute of it, and all I wanted was, you know, for him to take me to the trots. And yeah, I'd work all day, and he'd take me to the trots a couple of times a week, and let me work a couple of horses, so that's that's where it all started for me. The real turning point came when you went to work for a very good trainer called Ross Chisholm at Arimba on the Central Coast. Ross passed away only recently, Mike, at a terrific age. I think he was 92. This man was admired so much by so many, and you couldn't have wished for a better mentor than Ross Chisholm. Yeah, definitely. As I said, living on the Central Coast um, <clears throat> was hard to get, you know, too involved with horses because it wasn't sort of, uh, well, especially where I lived, there was, there was no horses at all. And um, 
we never had any any property or anything. So yeah, when I was lucky enough to um, meet Ross, and uh, Ross was kind enough to let me keep some horses there, I was um, yeah, I learned a lot there, and that's that's you know where it really it really started to take hold. That you know I was probably going to be a trainer full time. Yeah, from that moment on. Yeah. What did he teach you about training harness horses? What are the points that you still observe to this day? The most important thing he always told me was to look after the horses and keep them happy and and observe their characteristics and um, just pay attention to them. And uh, that way, uh, if you know their characteristics and mm. you can tell you know, how they're feeling or, or how they're going to go and if they're getting sick or they're going off and things like that. But um, oh, he was a great horseman, Ross, and just <clears throat> he was the type of guy you could you could learn just watching him. He wouldn't say much, but mm. if you just watched him, you, you could learn. And, and if you ever asked him, Alan, he'd be you know, more than happy to, to tell you or show you. Mm. Well, young Michael Formosa's first race drive was on the old Maitland track. It was one of Ross Chisholm's horses. He told you to lead and not to hand up under any circumstances. What happened? <laughs> yeah, well, I drove, I drove to instructions. That was the consolation of the inner city pace. Yeah. Um, and we actually went about three seconds faster in the consolation than they did in the final, and I finished a long <laughs> way back. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say when you came off? No, no, he was, you know, he was good. He never, ever used to complain about our drives and... He was more, you know, he knew that the horse, you know, wasn't any superstar and yeah. it was one of those horses that had, you know, he only won when he led but it was mm. 2,400 metres race and probably wasn't the right distance for him but no, he was, you know, Ross was, yeah. he was always good to us like that if he ever drove bad or anything, he never used to say much. So, yeah. so the young was, driver w- was trigger happy. Yeah, yeah, he, um, <laughs> You know, I was always wanting to do what I was told and yeah, I didn't need much encouragement to hold the lead, put it that way. Mm. <laughs> Your first winning drive was on a horse called Smart Chip. Again at Maitland in 1993, Roy Roots trained this horse. Coincidentally, you got him to train later on and he turned out to be a terrific little horse for you. Yeah, he was. Ross <coughs> Chisholm originally bought him for my father and... Uh, family, friend of ours, Charlie Camilleri, and mm. Ross won a few races with him, and then they sent him to Roy to train for a while, and Roy won a lot of races with him in Sydney, and then um, I was lucky enough to have get my first winner on him, and then mm. not too long after that, I, I started training him as well, so he was a very good horse. Yeah. I think he won over 20 races all up, but he was... Uh, yeah, he was a very good horse. I trained my first Harold Park winner with him as well. You had some really nice Harold Park horses, Michael. Uh, Go Forest, he won a few there. Piney Ranger won three or four. Smooth Transit was a prolific winner. I think he won ten races all up for you, some of them at Harold Park. Yeah, he was the very first horse I got to train. Um, um, Charlie Camilleri bought him off the uh, trot guide once. And he come from Jeff Webster, and and everyone said, "Oh, geez, you'll never get a horse off Jeff Webster and improve it." And me being young, and you know, I didn't know 
who Jeff Webster was and <laughs> didn't, didn't let it worry me. But, yeah, he came out and um, I had trouble holding him. He used to pull real hard and uh, yeah. no, um, actually rang up Jeff and uh, told him, what can I do? And he said he used to have a snake bit on him. And, yeah, ever since I put the snake bit on him, yeah, he was a different horse. And, yeah, as I said, he came out and come out and won about 10 races for me, won Harrow Park Friday right. nights as well, so he was good. You got to drive a very good horse in the 1990s by the name of Commander Monty. You won 18 races on him altogether and you enjoyed the privilege and, Michael, this is a privilege that comes only to a chosen few. You drove him in a miracle mile at Harold Park. He finished yeah. last of five. Now, this is a memorable miracle mile. This was the night Christian Cullen returned a positive pre-race swab and was a late scratching. It was a sensational night. Yeah, it was. It was a, a action-packed night. We were stabled next to uh, Christian Cullen that night, so we were sort of <clears throat> mm. in the thick of it. And it was a great week leading up to the Miracle Mile. You know, we had all the media attention because we were sort of the underdogs and mm. it was a terrific horse coming into money. He, he raced well fresh, probably run his race the week before in the, in the, in the, um, we were lucky because <clears throat> at that time, um, Cordina Sprint th- probably, was it Mike? Yeah, it was called the Qantas Sprint at the time. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there was only six, you know, there used to only be six horses in the Miracle Mile and they were very mm. controversial who they picked. And basically going into that last week, there was the two sprints in the Ladyship Mile and there was only one spot left. And mm. and even though we'd, we'd won, we were sort of still not even sure we would have we got in and mm. basically come down to who run the fastest time and we run the fastest time out of the, out of the three races, so we were the ones lucky enough to get in. Yeah. Now, one week later, he didn't go quite as well, did he, in the Miracle Mile? He just raced a, a touch flat. You tell me he was a horse who loved to be on the fresh side. Yeah, he used to go well fresh, and <clears throat> we um, basically had to race him three weeks in a row sort of thing to try and getting the Miracle Mile and yeah he just wasn't the same horse like his, his sectionals the week before were probably nearly good enough to win the Miracle Mile and yeah he just he had the right run but just didn't fire in the, in on the big night. Mm. Well for you and his trainer Bob Bellingham uh, it's a memory that you'll cherish for the rest of your time in harness racing just to be there uh, in that amazing and iconic venue, Harold Park, which had an atmosphere, I don't think there's another track uh, in this country that generates quite the same atmosphere that Harold Park did. It was just like an amphitheatre. Uh, every Miracle Mile was exciting. That one certainly was. Our Savancelot beating Quantum Lobel, Iraklis, Sovereign Hill and your horse, Commander Monty. But for a young driver... Uh, of, uh, you know, of your age at that time, Mike, what an experience, what a thrill. Oh, definitely, and uh, what they used to do when you'd, you'd come onto the track, they'd turn all the lights off and it'd be pitch black and they'd just have a spotlight on you coming mm. onto the track and yeah. all the people cheering and uh, the music going. Yeah, it's something that, you know, 
that doesn't happen very often, and especially now tracks aren't designed like Harold Park. You never sort of get that feel again. About a year after that miracle mile, you were involved in that awful fall at Maitland. You were driving a horse called the Baldy Bay. You were actually in front, not far from home, and down he went. <clears throat> and you tell me to this day you're not really sure what happened. No, um, <clears throat> that's what happened. Yeah, we're in the, uh, up the straight and the horse was getting tired and he just sort of copped the knock from behind and uh, I think it just sort of overreached and mm. got on his shoe and, and come down. Um, and my natural instinct was to sort of not land on the horse, so I've jumped away from the horse and I've, I've landed um, basically on incoming traffic and got hit in the back and snapped my head back and, yeah, got a broken neck out of it. Mm. Um yeah, that was that was probably you know, that, that's definitely the worst injury I've ever had. Yeah, my dear, recall the uh, exact injury, the description. Yeah, they call it the hangman's break. It's the one of the, yeah. the, the worst breaks you can do on your neck. Um, it's usually the neck, the, the the bone that breaks when you get hung. And um, mm. Christopher Reeves had the same the same break, and he was in a wheelchair after that. So I was very lucky to to um, to come out of it okay. You were back driving in races in one year, which stunned all of your friends and family. Yeah, when I had the operation, the first thing I said to the surgeon was, when can I you know, go back driving? And he said, oh, look, just if you can get back driving a car, you'll be, um, you should be happy. Don't worry about the horses anymore. And I was like, yeah, no worries, I'll be back. So, uh, yeah, being young and keen, you just sort of, that's all I thought about was getting back to the races and mm. just uh, worked hard getting back there and yeah, got there. Michael, your wife, Kirsty was a jockey. She rode quite a few winners in the Hunter region principally. She was apprenticed to the well-known Cessnock trainer, Pud Davies, and was going along beautifully, enjoying it very much, and then she had a buster and sustained a very nasty and complicated ankle injury. Yeah, she's uh, fractured her ankle in the fall and had surgery on it and nearly nearly made a comeback, but uh, just got um, got too much for her. The uh, the strain of track work and riding and and um, she just sort of we had trouble keeping the weight down because she couldn't really get enough exercise and track work into her after that. So she. Uh, mm. We decided to get her in foal and have some kids. <laughs> <laughs> How would a young harness trainer meet a young professional jockey? Um, back when I first started out on my own, I um, <clears throat> was down at Warnervale Training and I didn't know Kirsty at the time, but she lived not far from there and I just started to get a few horses and it was getting a bit too much for me to... Uh, to do everything because I was shoeing them as well back then. So I thought mm. I'd, I'd put the word out that I need someone to do an hour or two's work in the morning to do my stables and waters and mm. tidy up a bit. And um, just by word of mouth, Kirsty turned up one day, a young, blonde, blue-eyed um, girl turned up and, yeah, mm. I never let her go. No, it was <clears throat> it was too much for a hot-blooded young Maltese. 
<laughs> grabbed it with both hands and, and kept her. A good boy. You're a good judge. Michael, just stand by there for a moment. We're going to clear a commitment on the podcast. We'll be back with you in one moment. It's good times all round at Harness Racing across New South Wales as the state's finest horses and drivers go wheel to wheel. With something for everyone, a trip to the trots is the perfect place to take family and friends. It's easy, affordable and action-packed, so get down to your local track and experience it firsthand. Get all the info at harnessmediacentre.com.au and we'll see you at the track for good times all round. My guest is well-known harness trainer driver Michael Formosa, a man who's driven well over 1,000 winners and uh, is a multiple winner of Newcastle Trainer and Driver Premierships. Well, Mike, you and Kirsty turned up at the 2011 APG sale in Sydney looking for a bargain basement buy. You took a liking to a cult by modern art out of Salix. A late foal too, I notice. He was foaled on the 22nd of December, 2009. Yeah, um, we we were having a good run buying horses from New Zealand and and uh, we were winning quite a lot of races. We were winning the you know, premiership most year at the time up here. and um, But we had to... It had a high turnover. Like, we never had a lot of horses in work at any one time, but I found you sort of, we were turning them over quick and mm. and going on to the next one. And, and I said to Curse, I said, you know, everything's going well at the moment, but if we can't keep this, this going, it's going to, it's going to be tough. We've got to, um, we've got to start owning a piece of the action. Mm. And, um, so we decided, and we had our mind made up. We were just we we're going to go to the sales, and we we're just going to buy a horse that was going to change our lives, and, and, yeah. and that's what we come away with. Uh, it was I'll quite amazing. How I'll it say all, you did. Uh, well, you got that modern art cult for seven thousand dollars. He won six hundred and twenty-one thousand. Uh, was he a natural from day one? From the time you broke him in and gated him up, was he going to make the grade? Yeah, look, we we obviously were on a budget when we went to the sale, so we weren't looking at the the art majors or you know the top the top lot. So we were looking for that one that we could afford, and we well, liked the modern arts at the time. And we went and had a look at him, and we honestly we looked at him, I reckon ten times, and. Every time we looked at him, we thought we're not going to be able to afford him because he was mm. such a nice horse, and really? um, yeah. we had fifteen thousand to to spend. And when we got him for seven, we thought, Jesus Christ, we've missed something here. There's, there's something's <laughs> wrong with his horse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Counted his legs. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he was just a such a nice horse. Mm. His whole his whole life, we just. So laid back, you know. We we actually never even thought he'd make it as a two-year-old because he was that laid back. He would yeah. just flop around, and you know he'd pace. He was a beautiful pacer, and mm. um, I had a few other two-year-olds, and they were real racy little speedsters, and I sort of was more concentrating on them because I thought they were they were going to be the ones that make it yeah. early. And he just used to follow them around, <clears throat> follow the older horses around, just a couple laps, and. Yeah. And that was it. And one day there, he was he'd had enough work to sort of to to ask him what he could do. And mm. 
I had a, a C8 horse that was going good, and I had a chap, Cameron Davies, working for me at the time, and I put him on Thomas, which is what we call him. Mm-hmm. And I said, just just pull him out. And I said, but if the horse I'm driving, he wants to take off and leave you for dead, don't don't push him. And mm-hmm. um, and you wouldn't believe it, he pulled him out. You know, early two year old, and he went straight past the C8. And, Goodness and, me! Uh, yeah. And, after that, the cotton wool came out, and yeah, it was well and truly mm. wrapped up. After that, so you didn't sleep much that night. No, no. <laughs> I even like Kirsty, the kids were quite young at the time, and yeah. a week later, I think I took him to an education, and and we all went to the, you know, everyone said, "Oh, geez, this is strange. They've all come. Mm. The whole family's come to to the education. They must have something mm. nice here." Yeah. Well, he won two of his first three. Then off you went to Bathurst uh, to win the Gold Crown Heat and the Gold Crown Final, and he led in both of those races around the old track. And it was a leader's paradise, the old Bathurst track. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> we uh, we went down there. You know, I was pretty confident if he drew well, he'd go go good. Um, his last start before he went down, he, he sat in the depth at Newcastle and went 57. Doesn't sound fast now, but, you know, back then, um, that was, that was an impressive run and I, I sort of was quietly confident that he could win Bathurst off that run and, Mm. yeah, we had the luck and with the draw and he performed, you know, Mm. as expected. Before we leave the Bathurst Gold Crown, three years later, you won it again, this time as a freelance driver on a horse called Shadow Runner for trainer Sam DeMarco. It's been a good race for you, hasn't it, the Gold Crown? Yeah, it definitely has. Um, <clears throat> one that with uh, Sam's horse, he had a couple of nice two-year-olds at the time, Shadow Runner and Gotta Go Gold, and um, at the time Sam was bringing him here to work him, and, and uh, I'd known Sam Previously, before that, I used to drive a lot for Sam when he, mm. in the early days when he used to be uh, stabled at Gosford. But um, <clears throat> yeah, that was uh, uh, the same, the same feeling there. We had a, he had both horses going well, but Shadow Play uh, Shadow Runner was yeah. quite a strong horse, and he actually drew bad in his seat and bad in the final, and mm. was still you know able to overcome that and and still win. And that was the first. Gold crown on the new track. Yep. Now back to ultimate art, Mike. Your last run in that first preparation was the final of the Group 1 Breeders' Challenge. He ran fourth. Noah Saint won that one on protest, if memory serves me rightly. Any excuses for you in that final? Yeah, I'm not one to make excuses, but there actually actually was. He led, and I think it might have even been the first time he led it. <clears throat> Menangle, and if you if you know um, John on the corner there about the six hundred, there's a big cage on the inside of the track because mm. there's quite a big drop off there, and um, it's like a big chain wire fence. And mm. <clears throat> he was travelling nice, and he got to that cage, and he just sort of pricked his ears and half pulled up and lost his momentum. Mm. And being a, such a big sort of clumsy sort of horse, he sort of took him a while to get going again, but he sort of got bloused, um Lowsed on the line. He ran a good race to run fourth, but I think he would have really made it interesting if he didn't sort of, you know, lose all his momentum on the corner there. Mm. 
All right. <clears throat> well, that's the end of part one of our interview, our podcast interview with Michael Formosa. Uh, we're going to talk more about Ultimate Art when we uh, go on to part two. And uh, Michael Formosa is our special guest, and we'll be back with the second part of this podcast. It's good times all round at Harness Racing across New South Wales as the state's finest horses and drivers go wheel to wheel. With something for everyone, a trip to the trots is the perfect place to take family and friends. It's easy, affordable and action-packed, so get down to your local track and experience it firsthand. Get all the info at harnessmediacentre.com.au and we'll see you at the track for good times all round.